HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on a special Valentine's Day edition of Meet and 3, we put a twist on the lovey-dovey holiday. The mission statement is save the world through silliness and chocolate, and in parentheses, launch a chocolate bar into outer space. But I'm having um, some conflict on the board members with the parentheses. That's okay. He cited that in his area there used to be 30 dairy farms and now there are three. You know, dessert was political and what you had on the dessert table said more about you than other markers of success. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news and storytelling roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building and growing consumer brands. When we launched a line of fresh sauces, I knew we were jumping into something crazy. Haven's Kitchen is a cooking school, cafe, and event space. A product that people buy in grocery stores is an entirely new business, and I had a lot to learn. So in my efforts to get myself educated, I started meeting everyone I know and respect who could advise me on production and distribution, sales and legal, PR, and social media. Then I started having those conversations here as a podcast so that other entrepreneurs can learn from them as well. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Maya Kaimal, the original refrigerated sauce queen. Maya launched her line of fresh Indian simmer sauces in 2003, and since then has built a brand synonymous with quality and nutritious, accessible Indian food. Maya's sauces, chips, and ready-to-eat dal and rice are available in 7,000 stores, including Whole Foods, Sprouts, Safeway, Albertsons, Costco, Target, Walmart, and many, many more. Maya's products are consistently praised by media critics and consumers, and I'm so happy to have her here today to share some of the wisdom she's gained in 16 years in the business. Welcome. Thank you. So this is a big day for me. I feel like, I, like <laughs> I'm really excited. I really am. Like I, it's You were one of the first people that I sort of looked to for why isn't anyone else doing fresh sauce? 
Um, and you were, and mm-hmm. you were doing it very, very early on. Um, I feel like you've maybe also brought in some other things that might be better for your margins. So mm-hmm. I want to ask you about that <laughs> as we move on. But I just feel like I'm sort of speaking to someone who can be very helpful for me. So I'm, I'm grateful well, that you're here. Well, thank you. No, it's great. Great to be here. It's, yeah. it's been an interesting journey. Yeah. Um, so before we get into the actual sort of um, product journey, um, I know you grew up here, but you traveled a lot to India. Yes. Is that right? So mm-hmm. where did you grow up and yeah, what so, did you want to be? Well, I grew up in Boston and then my family moved to Boulder, Colorado mm-hmm. when I was 10. So uh, we did travel back to India quite a bit and uh, we would be visiting family in the southern part of India, but we did sightseeing all over, so I really got to see what a lot of India was like. Were you, was it Kerala? Kerala, exactly, yes. I did a paper on Kerala for my master's program, yeah, because it kind of seems like a utopian place. It's it's quite Mm -hmm. different from other parts of India. It is. It it has a a very interesting history with all its, the spice trade that really focused on that specific part of India so that kept it exposed to all these other you know cultures the Portuguese the Dutch the English were there and the Arabs way before that the Phoenicians I mean Chinese like trade winds yes trade winds exactly well it's interesting because the way and this is a little just food trivia there's a there's a lot there's a huge difference between northern Indian cuisine and southern Indian cuisine because there's this mountain range kind of in the middle and so if you picture it just all of the winds that are going to the bottom of the continent was, you know, all of those ships carrying all of yep. those different people with all of those different spices and ingredients. It's, you it's, know, yep, that kind of amazing. Monsoons yeah. helped kind of like, you know, bring the boats those. in. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so was when you were in Boston and then in Boulder, did your family eat traditional Southern Indian food or mm. were you kind of, was it special occasions or how, how is your relationship yeah. with Indian food? Yeah. So, so my father's Indian, my mm-hmm. mother's American and my mother was really inspired by Julia Child while I was growing yeah. up. So that was a very strong kind of um, influence, I guess, on what we were eating because mm-hmm. my mother just cooked out of Julia Child's cookbook like right. most nights. So my father would try to recreate this Indian food of, of, of our travels right. or of a relative or a friend, something he tasted that he thought like was particularly mm-hmm. delicious. So he would do that on the weekends. Right. And then, so, so our family would often eat Indian food on the weekends and for special occasions. Right. My dad. And would, your dad would cook it. He would cook it. And That's my mom really would fun. help too. But he, yeah, he kind of had a pretty clear idea what he wanted to and do. And your relationship with it Sometimes when there's, you know, when you're a young kid Mm. in Boston or Colorado and there's these like spices that are flowing through your house, (laughs) there are friends of mine who've had experiences with that where they're like, oh, dad's making that stuff again. Like, I hope, you know. It was never like that. Um, It it was, in fact, some... uh, my friends would would smell the food and yeah. be like, "Can we, can we stay come for over? dinner? Yeah. What is your dad making?" That's so cool. That's <laughs> so, so nice. It was positive, and I think um, you know, India was just a very 
positive yep. uh, place for me. It wasn't something that um, I was ever embarrassed about. Yeah. Or, you know, we my mother completely embraced my father's Indian heritage. Yeah. Like, dove right in. She had long lists of sightseeing places she wanted to go right. and, and things she wanted to do there. So, so yeah. Very so, positive Yeah, for like you. our trips there were yeah. lovely. I mean, I was falling in love with the, the textiles as much as yeah. the food. Amazing. And like, it was all just kind of a... Were you, did you have siblings? Yeah, I did. I have an older brother and older sister. And were you the young kind of scrappy left on her (laughs) own one or were you quiet or were you, like what was your... Yeah, I was the the youngest and I was, I was quiet, quieter. I was kind of letting my... my, Make the mistakes. Yeah, Yeah. letting them sort of figure stuff out and just observing. Yes, that, that, my youngest definitely learns from everything that I don't like that the older four do and then is basically a prince. So he, and he gets all of the, and everyone's right. like, oh, really? Because you know, yep, I yep. think he's kind of perfect. <laughs> he has the benefit of learning from his yeah. elder siblings' mistakes. So do you remember what you wanted to be when you I, grew up? Yeah, I, I wanted to be an artist or a graphic designer. Artsy. Um, yes. Creative. And then, then it sort of, Ended up, uh, photography was what I focused on in college, and so that's kind of where my career started. Right. And so you, did you, so you were a photo editor Mm -hmm. at Savor, Mm -hmm. and did you go straight to the magazine after college, or did you make a few stops? I went into the magazine industry right out of college. Yep. I started as an assistant in the art department. Very cool. uh, Of magazine, and then moved uh, to, worked at, you know, uh, some Hearst magazines, mm-hmm. Time Inc. I was Always sort of moving food. through. No, um, women's magazines. Right. Um, one was Us Magazine Entertainment. So, no, it was only when I got to Savor that I really got to bring together my two biggest yeah. passions. Amazing. And how do you remember sort of what did that inspire in you? Or do you remember sort of like what you took out of that experience yeah. marrying those two things oh. that you loved so much? Well, I mean, I'll, I, I was utterly devastated when I got laid off, I'll tell you that, yeah. because it was like, wait a minute, this is the perfect job yeah. for me. I, <laughs> this is like, I can't do any better. But um, so, I mean, it was, uh, it, well, what was extra fun and lucky for me was I had actually written a feature like a few years before I started working there, but because of the little lag time, right. it ended up running while I was there. So I got oh, to wow. actually photo edit my own story. Oh, that's amazing. And really see it go yeah. into layout. And that never happens. I, no, no that's never. That's so cool. So that um, and did fun. you write the cookbooks when you were photo editing? Yeah, before, I did like, write them while I was a photo editor. Okay. Right? I, I, um, my second one came back, came out when I was at Savor, right. and my first one came out a few years before. So you had a, a very successful career. I mean, the fact that you were able to publish two cookbooks and be a photographer at, you know, a pretty important food magazine. And this is, this is a while ago, but I mean, Mm. even then that was a big deal. Well, I mean, it was, it it was a lot, you know, having this sort of side hustle thing with the man, with the cookbooks going Right, right, right. (laughs) Like, oh, but it was, um, but I could, I, the f- interest in food was definitely right. very powerful for me. Right. So I felt like I needed that part of my life. So even yeah. if I wasn't writing cookbooks, I was I was Engaged thinking about food. what kind of articles I could write. And right. the nice thing at Savor was I got to write some pieces, yeah. other pieces for the magazine Which too. is amazing. 
Um, and then it all kind of came <laughs> crashing down one day, which uh, is, you know, the story of, I feel, yeah. so many founders. Yeah. I, very few people take the leap without getting shoved off the cliff, <laughs> I, in my opinion. I think you're you know? absolutely right, because it's, yeah. it's too hard to contemplate. Right, or, you know. and you're losing too much. Yes, But exactly. you, you know, what, so you got laid off from the Savor job, and then where, what happened in your brain that was like, I mean, had you thought about making, because you started with the simmer sauces, that was the first product, yes. right? And yes. had you thought about, like, why doesn't this exist? Or Well, it, it did strike me that what was available in stores was just, didn't resemble right. how I thought of Indian food at all. Right. And the kinds of ingredients that were being put in there, it's like, you know, what what is this? Yeah. This isn't food as we eat it at home. Right. So, so that bothered me. But it was really this, this bef- while I still had my job at Savor, mm-hmm. um, my friend Andy Ahrens, mm-hmm. he was, uh, you know, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd met my husband, he was friends with my husband, we would have dinner parties, he would give me some feedback on what I was making. And, and Andy would, was at that time the owner of Gourmet Garage? the owner of right. Gourmet Garage, yes. So he had that chain of stores and he started saying, why don't you make some sauce? Like, I would totally carry it in my stores. I'm, I don't think, I don't have much to choose from. Right. And you could do something really exciting. And yeah. and why don't you do that? Why don't you do it? And I was like, no, I can't, I can't. That whole thing, right? right. Just like, I'm busy. Yeah. I've got a job. Right. But then when I didn't have the job, then <laughs> <laughs> it just looked like the obvious thing to do. Like, okay. And how did you make... The fir- I mean, did, was there HPP then? So, like, how no, did you even cold process No, no, no. Process no, anything? we were not. We were hot filling. So I see. Yeah. I And the whole thing about doing it refrigerated was just out of one of the many conversations that I had as I right. was trying to explore this. And Andy was introducing me to people, and I was getting to know some of the specialty food association right. people. So um, they were cooked sauces. Yeah. But you merchandise them in refrigerated. Correct. Which is and amazing. The thing about it, yeah, because when people was like, you should do them fresh, like fresh pasta sauce, make right. fresh India. Nobody's doing that. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's a great idea because yeah. I feel like it'll taste more like a homemade yes. sauce. So the nice thing about being refrigerated was that, um, well, yes, it's fully cooked. It's it you don't have to have quite the same pH level, yeah. right? So you have some flexibility there, and that can really be a, a huge very, game changer. Make a yeah, big difference in flavor. Yeah, um, for, and people who are listening who aren't in the refrigerated world, to think about it this way. I think you have to have like, I think it's like a the I think a sort of a shelf stabilized product is mm-hmm. about a three eight or yeah, something. Yeah, three nine. Yeah. Maybe you can get to four. Right. Maybe. And ours is like four, five, four, right. four. Mm-hmm. And it can be four, six if it's refrigerated. So if you think about just the amount of acid that you have to add to something yeah. to lower the pH to make it, you know, shelf stable, it's going to end up tasting different than mm-hmm. it would at a higher pH. Exactly. So, right. Okay. So you made this, um, you made. For Gourmet so, Garage, you yep, made how many did, how many so flavors? We had, um, we had three flavors when we launched, uh, uh-huh. tikka masala, coconut curry, vindaloo. My <laughs> husband and I had a big argument over whether we were going to do tikka masala or not because I was 
really dead set against it. I'm like, it's right. so obvious. Yeah, but it, <laughs> he's, he's like, like, come on, people need that's obvious. Be the bestseller. I know you're speaking to someone who made Romesco, and everyone's like, I'm sorry, what? What's Romanesco? What? You know, so yeah, something that people can latch on to is probably your husband was probably right. Yeah, he definitely was right. He's our bestseller. But yeah. uh, so those were the three flavors, and and what I was doing by choosing those flavors was also bringing in some of the South Indian yeah. flavors, right? So the coconut curry totally resembled the South Indian flavor profile where it's coconut based, it's got mustard seeds yeah, and curry leaves, green favorite. chili, you know, yeah. So that was really at the, at, um, the idea was I want more people to taste this kind of food. And how did you make it for Gourmet Garage? Like that first, yeah. you know, when you were first making it, like how did so you do that? So I found a manufacturer in upstate New York who had a small business. He basically had like a single kettle and uh-huh. he was making fresh pesto for some of the New York City you right. know, gourmet shops and and he was willing to take a chance on this kind of unknown Indian right. product. So and, cool. Yeah. And what, what was so, your shelf life at that point? So actually pretty good. Um, we were able to get, right off the bat, we got 90 days. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And then we were eventually able to get to 120 days. Great. So, but yeah, it, it was. It was not, it didn't have to move quickly. It, the stores had some time. Right. You know? No, it's great. And did you have a plan at that point? I mean, I guess there were like six gourmet garages or something. Like that, yeah. Did you, were you like, so, let's see how we do here and then maybe I'll go start talking to other well, stores or what, so like, I what was the plan? I actually had three first customers. So okay. the gourmet garage was one, Calustians yeah. was one, right? Because I was sense. very friendly with um, yeah. the owners and yeah, so they were willing to to take it on too. Yeah. And then um, Fairway, I was actually able to sell it into right. as well. So the, um, that, that was kind of a chance to figure out how we were, you know, right. how we were doing. How it was going to work. Um, and they all did really well with it kind of right off the bat, yeah. which was like very Amazing. surprising to all of us. But it was just, <laughs> no. It uh, was really, I mean, it's really good. So the question I always ask around now is like, when do you remember a moment where you knew you had a business? <laughs> like, do you remember a moment where you're like, okay, I'm going to do this or now we're going to invest some real time and energy or now I'm, this is my job. Mm. Well, so, I mean, I just remember one, one moment of, of the sense that like, oh my God, I think this could actually work was when Fairway was calling me like the stuff uh-huh. is flying. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> we can't keep it on the shelf. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, that's happening at Fairway. Yeah. Wow. So it just, it, it made me feel confident about walking into the other retailers in New York city yeah. and just saying, Hey, you know, we're moving this much product yeah. in a week at, at Fairway. You really should have us. And yeah. then, and getting a New York times review and Florence Fabricant's column just kind of sealed the deal yeah. because that, um, I got. I had the great thrill of seeing people walking around with that clipping yep. in the store yeah. and looking for, looking for it. <laughs> no, it's great. So. Um, amazing. Okay, we're going to take a little break, and then when we come back, you're going to just basically walk us through the next 16 years <laughs> in a half an hour. <laughs> okay. It should be easy. We'll be right no back. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 
and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. I'm back with Maya Kaimal, the um, founder and chief everything <laughs> of the epino- how do you what's the eponymous. word eponymous um, <laughs> company. Um, okay, so 2003, you got on the shelves. Yeah. By 2004 ish, mm. you knew you had a thing. Yep. And yeah. then, what happened then? I mean, basically, by the time it was by. By a few years later, you were in like 3,000 doors, I think, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that it, it certainly took some time getting there. But what happened around 2005, 2006 was we started getting approached by uh, uh, William-Sonoma uh-huh. um, and Costco. Yep. And they wanted us to make things for them. And right. that just shifted the whole business. I mean, particularly Costco. Right. William Sonoma was great as a you know a marketing right tool, really. But know. Costco's got the volume, and Costco had the volume. Yeah. So we were able to kind of further, you know, with the William Sonoma, we were further establishing ourselves as like a really right. like sort of high quality yes, producer. For and that sure. was another part of the thinking behind going out with fresh. I think we always knew that we would ultimately be doing shelf stable products right. because that's how you scale your business. Yep. But the but being in the marketplace in, with fresh we would be so different from everything else that was yep. out there, right? Yeah. Different part of the store. Where were you merchandised? So that was always the yeah. question, but usually with uh, in the specialty section of the store, so with with cheeses and right. pestos and right. tapenades. Which usually, I mean, I feel like they're usually made, you know, they're usually kind of private label. Right. You know, so you were sort brand. of like one of the only brand brands mm-hmm. in the in the sea of I'm trying right. to remember when I first I think I I probably first got excited about them at Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. I think, and I'm trying to remember where I would. Pick they them would have up. been in the cheese yeah. set. That's yeah. where we. In fact, my husband made that sale. He just walked into the Chelsea Whole Foods because wow. that was the only one back then yeah. in New York. Yeah, <laughs> and just said, "What? My my wife's too shy, but we've got this sauce. So what? <laughs> oh, that's so nice. And they're like, "Oh, yeah, we look. We're interested right. in that." And, so going back to Costco for a second, because yeah. there's a lot of people with a lot of advice about Costco, and. I mean, there are a lot of companies that build their entire businesses on Costco. Mm. They do want you to build them different things, mm. right? Like yeah. they want different 
do they want different SKUs or do they well, just want it packaged yeah. differently? Or? It, it can be both. It really just right. depends. You know, in our case, we've done, we've taken the retail, the th- those three original flavors mm-hmm. and put them into a, a three pack right. and they, they were happy with, you know, with that and that sold really well. But often they want you to take that and double the size or, right. you know, make it, make it somehow bigger and bespoke for them. And is there any lesson that you've learned working with Costco mm-hmm. that you know, would be helpful oh. for founders? Well, you know, it's it's fantastic business to have. Obviously, that goes without saying. But it you can never kind of get, like, over your skis. You can't, yeah. you can't take it for granted. Right. You have to be ready to pivot, you know, and, and have a solid business, even if that volume goes away. Right. Yeah. It's that highly Which is hard because thing. people you know, you end up building an entire sort of supply chain to support that. And right. if it goes away quickly, you're left with, right. you know, people yeah. and product. But the and- good thing about Costco is that they're, they're very, um, that honorable in terms of if they make a, yeah. If, and if they, if they make a, a commitment to mm-hmm. you, they will fulfill that commitment. Right. Um, so you don't have, you're not like stuck with a ton of stuff or hopefully you're not. Right. Yeah. But they, they, I think the thing that it that it is that's challenging as a as a business owner is that you just you really can't project yeah. into the next year with any certainty yeah. at all. I know. So you want to make sure that your retail business is is a good chunky size of right. uh, because that part you can predict. So when you were well. when you were I mean first of all it's so interesting right because there was no online there no. was no Amazon the only two channels really for well I guess there were sort of three. Because you had club, yeah. you had sort of your your grocery. I guess natural was sort of different than conventional at that mm-hmm. time, yeah, and did. then you had specialty. Right. Yeah. So did you break it down that way a little bit? Or? We were, we really started in specialty, right? Right. So that was um. Uh, so we were sort of thinking of ourselves as like specialty slash natural, right. And club. So it right. felt like two channels to us yes. because the conventional has been like a later you yeah. know development for right. our business. Uh, so, so, but specialty, I mean, it, it was a uh, much easier kind of sell in, yes. right? So, I mean, things were probably even easier back then maybe, mm-hmm. but it, it was, you know, the, the, that department can always make a little more room yes. for your product, right. right? It's not as planogrammed in yes. and rigid and it didn't have the same like review schedules yep. and things that like you had to, you know, adhere to before right. you even had a shot at getting right. in. So, yeah. um, so that, but that's, that channel, we really quickly were able to move into natural too, because right. those two, there is, you know, kind of a, I don't know, I think those two relate well to each other, same kind of consumer. Yeah. And I mean, I think the lines are getting a little blurred now. I remember people, like, even when I first started, you know, thinking about this, they were like, there's natural, there's conventional, there's progressive conventional, <laughs> there's progressive natural, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. like, what, you know, so, but know. do you remember, like, do you remember the first West Coast sale you had, or, like, do you remember, yeah. you know, sort of, like, 
Do you remember mm-hmm. how you were thinking about it back then? Or were you just kind of like, wow, there's another well, account that wants us. We'll make it and we'll see how it goes. In our situation, we had this distributor who had a Northeast presence and a Northern California presence. They were called the Cheeseworks. They're not around anymore. Right. But they had salespeople who were extremely well educated on all their products and passionate yeah. foodies. So they weren't just like, Filling orders, yeah. they were like they were out there right. selling. That's so amazing. They had and they had Whole Foods too. So mm-hmm. in that case, we were like, we just want to go wherever you guys yep. go. So yep. help build our business out. So because they also had Whole Foods, it was like getting into all these nice cheese shops and then getting into Whole Foods yeah. in on the East Coast and the West Coast, and then started filling in yep. in the middle. So you know the the but those. Those coasts obviously are the places that are receptive right. to this kind of new, you know. And did you think food. about it like, okay, we're building brand in these accounts, and we're and we're like getting volume yes. from Costco. Yes, right. We, we were we were using it's a the good volume. Way to think about mm-hmm. it. The co- ex- Costco enabled us to to really build out our infrastructure, or right. you know, just our staffing. You know, we were, we brought on our first CEO. Um, and we could only afford them because we had the Costco volume. Right. So, so yeah. What made you decide to bring on a CEO? Uh, because I think I know pretty well where my strengths lie, right. and I've thought if if the business is going to rely on me like a hundred percent for for growth, it's probably not the best thing for the business. Right. It would be better served by someone who really kind of understood the marketing and ops pieces right. and, oh, yeah. you know, all, there's a lot. And you were able to afford that from the sales from the product from, or did you yeah. have to go raise money? No, to we do didn't that? have to raise any money. I mean, this wow. was also a nice thing about, you know, being a fresh product yeah. and sort of just in time manufacturing. Yeah. So, you know, you weren't carrying inventory. Yeah. You didn't have to have a lot of overhead That's or anything. Cool. So, yeah, so in that way, we kind of kept our costs pretty low, right. and we were making money. And it's amazing. It was like, wow, this yeah. is kind of working. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like you had any, like, were there a few sort of like, oh, wow, this is not working moments, like, uh, in between yeah. that? I mean, we've, we've had we, ups yeah, and downs. Uh, we've, we've definitely had ups and downs. We've had product launches that 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 failed. We tried launching these fresh chutneys and they mm-hmm. were kind of like dips and they were delicious, but they had a short shelf life. Right. So we, um, yeah, we've, uh, you know, and now we're, um, well, we decided at one point to shrink our fresh retail sauces. Right. I wanted to ask you about that because Ugh. obviously yes. that's, that's, that's a big question That was for a me. lesson learned. Oh um, my gosh. So yeah, tell well, me about it. So we have, this, you know, still selling the fresh sauces. This is now like 13 years into the business. Right. They had, you know, a really amazing run, yeah. and, you know, and, and then, yeah. And then they were. How many SKUs were there in fresh at that time? At least six. Okay. We did six. But our um, we had brought in, this is now a different CEO, because right. our first one had moved back to West Coast and wanted to move on to other things. So we brought in someone else, and um, there was a decision made to shrink the size a little bit, right, uh-huh. to go from a 15 and a half ounce to an 11 and a half ounce, right? right? So 
sort of significant, but trying to hit a lower price point and thinking that maybe we would be able to take it into more conventional markets right. with a lower price point, like four ninety nine instead of a five ninety nine, six. Which is still, by the way, I mean, today that I don't think people would blink at fifteen ounces for mm-hmm. you know six ninety nine. I mean, it's you know, yeah, but it, well, clearly, right. it was for lots of reasons. <laughs> not we weren't we didn't think about it the right way because right. we ended up. It, it prompted a UPC change, mm-hmm. and that is just you know for all you nice people out there, yeah. don't do it. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about this because I don't actually think that this has come up in the sixty-six mm, episodes that I've done. Do. But we actually had a UPC change. Very early on, our nutty lemongrass was originally peanut lemongrass, and I just was too nervous. I just, I know cashews also an allergen, but they're just, the peanut stuff is is scary. Um, So before we, it was only when we were in the 14 New York Whole Foods, but we did need to... I did want to change the formula. Yeah. I actually ended up liking the cashew even better. It was a little lighter. Mm. It didn't feel sort of as heavy. Yeah. It's the opposite of light. Mm. Um, but I had no idea. I mean, we had to we had to stop selling for six to eight weeks in, you know, at Fresh Direct and at Whole Foods when we did the change. It was a nightmare getting rid of one skew and getting the other one on. We had to put a sticker on the new one saying new formula now with cashews Mm. and we lost like three months of sales at the end of the day because it didn't pick up where the other one left off which is what you think is going to happen so I think that's the really good advice out there like yeah I, I don't know how to prevent it other than try to get try to get it right the first time. I, I don't know. Yeah, I we didn't know. have the formula change, so we didn't have to like right. put out any notices about be but but it's it is it's like starting all over again. Right. Cuz you think people are just going to be like, "Oh, I'll just get that now instead yeah. of what I got last week." But they don't. No, the buyers don't. Yeah. They don't they don't make that that switch and then and so everything kind of grinds to a halt yep. and then there you are just trying to re sell yeah. your same product to all your accounts again and they and and what and then by having that hiccup they've filled your space yes, already right so you don't even have the slots anymore yeah so so would you so do you feel like had you not done that you would still have a big fresh presence because is it right would, now yeah it's mostly in costco fresh that's correct and yes. everywhere else Costco's you're doing all these other really fresh, cool but, innovative things that we'll talk about but the fresh sauce right now is only in costco true yes yes and do you think it would you would have kept it in yes. the other stores yes got it i think we would have right so so okay, I, that's that's helpful because I was like, maybe it's just such a nightmare of a business that they decided to get out of it. <laughs> no, I mean, I will say it, it. You know, you have to evaluate like when you have a lot of different kinds of product lines, right. like we, the fresh, the chips, the shelf stable sauce. Right. Now, you know, you're you're selling to three different, different buyers, buyers. Yeah. so it's the logistics. It gets complicated, yeah. right? Yes. So, yeah, I know it's interesting because. One of the questions that potential investors would always ask me is like, where else, you know, what other categories do you see? And I'm like, first of all, I think there's a lot of runway in this category. Like, yes. I think we're, we're good for a couple of years. Yeah. But I would just be like, well, you know, yeah. so potential <laughs> investors mean, that are listening to this, I kind of <laughs> BS'd, but I didn't really because I do think that there are other categories where a cooking yeah. school can help people. Yeah. But what people don't realize is that it's not as if 
you're doing really well in one place in the store and all of the buyers are just like, sure, come on down. Mm -hmm. You have to sell into those guys just as much. Like you might be doing well in, you know, in chips, but just because then you launch a yogurt doesn't necessarily mean the dairy buyer is going to be into it. No, it doesn't at all. And so it's, it's, it just complicates your business a lot. So can we talk a little bit about the change? I mean, as we said, there was no Amazon, Mm -hmm. there was no Instagram, there was no direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. Now you have sort of like, you're a legacy company that's got like a very strong consumer base and a reputation that is like perfect in 16 years. But you also have to deal with the fact that there are all these things just coming at you from Mm. 85 different directions. How do you think about that? How's the landscape changed for you in a good way? Like, how Mm. has it helped you? How Mm -hmm. do you feel you wish you would have gotten on something earlier? Like, Mm. what are your thoughts around all that? Yeah, I think we've, we've... Um, made our peace with the fact that our our best selling line, our our sauces, are never going to be something that works on Amazon. Glass jars. Right. Let's just not even worry about that. Right. You know. But it it has Amazon has informed our innovation. Right. So How? We, well, we think about you know the, we're doing now pouches with right. dolls, yes. so they're not glass, right? Mm-hmm. So we think about okay. You know, it's not that we would never launch another thing in glass. I'm not, you know, it's not like only going to think about Amazon when I'm thinking about innovation. But it is, it's in our minds. Like, could this work on Amazon or not? Right. So, so, so that's that is a factor that it wasn't for for us in the beginning. But um, I see, I do see a lot of new brands. Mm -hmm. A lot of Indian brands have sprung up in the time since we started our business. that I actually think it's great. Yeah, because, I mean, in one way, you know, I, I who, who was I asking a similar question to? You know, the idea that they're, you know, the category's growing, the category's that more growing. people are exposed to Indian food, to Southern Indian food in particular, that more yep. people know what tikka masala is. Yep. That's going to be good for you because you are sort of, the top of the top in that category. Mm-hmm. It means that you have to shift your strategy a little bit because you're not necessarily the only person responsible for educating everybody on what it right. is. But now yeah. you have to compete in yeah, a couple of other have different other ways. choices. Yeah, right. But you know, India is a big country. Yeah, <laughs> the U.S. is a big yes. country. Lots There's of brands. Plenty lots of, of room yeah. for lots of us to coexist. Yes. And so, yeah. I mean, to me, it's like. I do love seeing the category grow, and and I like seeing, you know, slowly but surely more space being allotted to, you know, quote unquote ethnic foods. Global, I like that much better. I know. Yeah, it's (laughs) troublesome. The the (laughs) there's just a lot of weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, and then thinking about innovation, other than sort of what's going to work for e-commerce and what's going to be lighter weight and what's not going to break. How do you think about, like, how do you think about innovation and how, like, how did these new products kind of come about and 
was there a sort of formal process behind it? Were you trying to solve for something? Were you just like, you know, we would, we should make yeah. rice. Like, so so many it? things come into play. I mean, it, and it's in this age of data, right? That's mm-hmm. yet another. It's like, well, what sells a lot? Right. But if that's the only thing that's yeah. driving a business, then you've lost your soul. Yeah. But I learned a really good way of thinking about food from my time at Savor and working mm-hmm. with those really amazing founding editors who just always focused on how, you know, if, if we're going to put food in this magazine, you know, it's got to come from someplace real. It has mm-hmm. to, it, we're not making things up. We're not reinventing cheesecake, you know, like we're, yep. we are going to Oaxaca and, you know, we're going to the Philippines or we're going, we're going to find out what people are making in their kitchens that their mothers and grandmothers made. And so for me, I think about that. I oh I think it's got to start from something real that right. Indians love to eat. Yeah, that's great. And so that's the that's my beginning place. And then I like to think about how I can can work with that and and riff with riff on mm-hmm. it a little bit, just enough to maybe catch people's eye. Like right. okay, it's got you know it's got kale in it, or it's right. got some another vegetable like a carrots in the doll that yep. you wouldn't have thought would be in there. Butternut squash, or something. yeah, you know, like think about vegetables right. when you're thinking about dolls, and and put those two things together in a way that maybe an Indian person wouldn't. But to me, it still feels like it's honoring very the, much so the whole tradition. And does it go through? Does it go through the like? What's it going to do to the business? How's it going to affect the business yeah. kind of system? So, so does it start mm-hmm. with like, let's start with something real that yes. is that like feels authentic to the way that people eat and the way I want to sort of represent Southern Indian cuisine, mm-hmm. and then it goes through a process with all right. the finance people. So or the yes, ops people. so it's it's well, it's kind of everybody uh, marketing too because what mm-hmm. we do is we like size the opportunity. Okay, right? if yeah, this tell is me about what. That. So, so we say we want to do dolls. Okay, we need to go get the data on the category. Right now, this gets a little tricky with Indian food because it's not very well categorized right. in the systems that are available in spins and stuff. So you have to yep. do a bunch of digging, and you yeah. know, you know brand names, so you have to find them and pull them out, and you know, make your own kind of aggregate. So, but this is something I want to just pause for a second because this is something that I did not think about at all. I had no idea what category meant. I didn't even, I would not have known what you were talking about (laughs) 18 months ago, but I think it's something that at this point, when people ask me for advice, the first thing I say, I think we talked about it even before the show, Mm -hmm. you're in a category. Mm -hmm. We don't think of ourselves as in a category because there isn't a fresh sauce category, but there is a sauce category and there's like sauce add meat Right. (laughs) The way sauce is categorized is really (laughs) weird and funny. Um, But you have to slice it somehow. And Mm -hmm. it's on you, just like I kind of say to founders, like it's on you to know how to to read a cash flow and understand the finance. It's also on you to know what your actual potential market is for your product and Mm -hmm. what your category looks like and who else is in it. And you know, something like when I had um, Raquel on from Ghee, you know, mm-hmm. from um, Fourth and Heart, yeah. you know, if she had started a Ghee company and was like, it's a $18 billion, you know, it's not, yeah. it's, it's not, it's, yeah. not. it's like $6 million or something. It's, it's little, I don't remember exactly what the market size is, but it's not a big market. And you as a founder can't assume 
that you are going to bring the world right to geek right, yes. right? yeah you you have to know what's ha- what's come before right. and it gives you a, a, a some guideposts about like what is this a big space right or is it small and if it's small how big could it be right. and what are the who trends? could I bring to it and mm-hmm. how will I get them there yep. yep how fast is it growing and, yep. and look at the last couple of years and the last 12 weeks and the last yeah. so so you just have to know how to you know use the information that's out there to inform what you prioritize have you had any babies not children but like (laughs) product babies that just they're like no Maya no we're not doing this one (laughs) yes okay but I'm still hope I'm not even going to say it out loud because I'm still pushing for it (laughs) and have you had any that sort of marketing has come to you and been like this would be great and you're like Mm, "Mm, no yeah oh yeah Yeah. definitely you know and again I don't want to say it out loud because I'll probably end up launching it one day but (laughs) that's very funny but yes it's a push and pull right it's like yeah what's trendy right Right. now and are we you know I will just say like the whole keto thing yeah Okay, I can't. I just I can't bring myself to build my business around there, around that. If it happens to fit with right. what we're doing, then yes, I'm, I'm good. But I can't, yeah. like you know, contort I like to myself. call it fad agnostic. <laughs> yeah, how about that? <laughs> I like that. Um, yeah, because you know, and I, I mean, you've seen so much. You've seen them come and go. You've seen high carb come yeah, and go. Exactly. You've seen high fat come and go. Call it Atkins. Call it keto. Call it whatever. Right. Yep. It. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. So I have thoughts <laughs> um, on that, which I, I will not share right now. <laughs> so um, did you, do you feel like you did anything to sort of educate consumers on these new flavor profiles, even when you were kind of at the various stages of the business? Yeah. How did you get the word out about what mm. Indian food should taste like? How did you tell people what these things were? Oh, I mean, we... I'm sure that I could have done much more, but what I did was I just used the packaging. I mean, I just wrote a little story about right. each and every, you know, sauce and a little, just even though it's not, it's like a small little paragraph, I just always tried to get in there what, you know, what are the key spices you're going to taste in right. here? What's the part of India that it comes from? Right. You know, what are you going to feel when you eat it? Like yeah. just because, yeah, that's all you have to go by. You know, that's right. all people really get is like a couple sentences. So I think, you know, we were probably preaching to the choir for a, a right. long time there where it's people who already knew they liked Indian food. And right. then you just, you, you hope that they migrate with you to the next flavor and the next right. flavor. And, and I think that is what's happened. And I think that there's been Indian, uh, the rise in interest mm-hmm. in Indian food goes along with the rise in interest in a lot of other cuisines too. Yep. So it's an, an opening up of our minds. And then as we get more specific about what we do and don't eat, you know, then you have to kind of look around and see what's available in right. the world that fits with what your, what, what your preferences are. Do you feel like you've shifted? Like, do you feel kind of with the rise of Instagram and social media that you've shifted with, I mean, it seems to yeah. me like you have made, I feel like it's pretty obvious that there's a, there's a, there's a deliberate move. Yeah. You know, I'm looking at Catherine, um, <laughs> to be very yes. current and to be 
with the younger brands and, you yeah, know, on social sure. and yep, talking yep, directly think, and all of that stuff. Yep. I mean, I love Instagram. I love it personally. I right. just think, you know, I think it's a great tool for for just that that ability to convey what you're doing just in a split second. So, yes, right. that's a platform that we're using to try to get people to understand what exactly is inside our foods, right. what it, you know, break it down, what are the ingredients. And you're in 7,000-ish stores right now, yeah. and you're still growing and still We are. Trying. Yeah, bad. it's yeah. amazing. Okay, so <laughs> we are running out of time, and I don't want to get the like glare from Matt, but I do have a big question, I think, is if you were just advising me, mm, you know, yeah. um, and the founders and the people that are listening, what... Do you wish you had known earlier on what would you say is sort of like, this is an important thing for you to know? What are some things that you would like us to avoid yeah. if possible? Yeah. Some real well, good advice. <laughs> Excuse me. I think one of an early piece of advice that we got that I'm really grateful we got was not to over innovate. When you're uh-huh. starting, yeah. Don't think that you just have to come out Keep with a new out, product right. every year just because you're going to Expo or just because you're you don't want to stand in front of the buyers and say, "Oh, well, no, actually, I don't have anything new this year." Right. It's fine. Yeah. You know, don't don't let that pressure drive you because you you need to take what you've got and really prove it out and yep. build some great stories around it and be able to take those stories to more and more retailers around the country. Because there are so many, and mm-hmm. so proving that That's a great piece of success, advice. you know, with a few products, I think I is- pushed my team. I did. Yeah, <laughs> we were. Yeah, like we were going to have two new SKUs in 2020, and my head of ops came to me and she was like, "Maybe we should just stick with the five we have." And I, I was like, yeah. "All right, let's compromise." Let's- so we're coming out with one, okay, which I'm very excited about, and I think it rounds out our little rainbow very nicely. Yeah. Um, but definitely from an ops perspective, she was like, "This is, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot." Yeah. And and on a small team, right? To have, you know. I mean, and we did a we did a seasonal cranberry oh, last year that I was I was super like cranberry, you know, and I had, <laughs> and we it was a nightmare. I mean, we lost a lot of money. Oh. It was delicious. It was great, oh, but sure. we had product left over. We yeah. like you, no one could I'm take it because we did it. You sh- it's just it's yeah. not a good call. Seasonal yeah. skews. I don't know. I I'm. And John Lawson, who was on here, was mm. like, why would you make cranberry sauce? Why wouldn't you try telling people how to use chimichurri on Thanksgiving? Uh, yeah. Like, you, wh- why so would you do that? I'm like, well, God. that was a good call. <laughs> I wish I hadn't <laughs> done that. Yeah. Um, okay, so don't over-innovate. Anything yep. else? I mean, I think what's going to happen if, if your business is sort of, you know, doing fairly well is you're going to get approached by a lot uh-huh. of investors. Yeah. And so you need to have a point of view on that. And I didn't have a particular point of view. I was just like, you know, mildly flattered and just sort of, mm-hmm. no, 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 I don't think so. But um, but it's important to understand what that can do for your business. Because right. so you did ultimately did. take investment. We did. But recently. Yeah, just in February. Which is amazing. So. You had like 15 years 
in business, and that was the first time you took yeah, outside investment. Yeah, we had done a little bit of uh, angel, right. like a small, very right. small angel round. But yes, basically that was the first investment we took. So, and that someone else had given me that advice that wait as long as you can right. before you sell yeah. part of your company. But I think just have those conversations with people who approach you. Just start to educate yourself right. about about what investment means and talk to other people who took investment right. and figure and out. And what was the ultimate decision for you? Like so, why why you know, the ultimate decision? Well, I had I it? had had conversations with people over the years, so I had built up a com- comfort level with this one particular firm and um, so I I I liked them a lot and yeah, I mean, our business we've hit bumps, right? Mm-hmm. And so we were it was a point where you know we actually do need the money. Right. Now. There's a there's a lot of competition out there. We need yep. to stay ahead of that. We need to build our distribution out, and we need to we need marketing to really help yeah. pull that product off the shelf because yep. we we can get it on the shelf, yep. but how are we getting it? So off? we talk about on this <laughs> podcast all the time. I think it's harder and harder for food businesses not to take outside money. Yeah, and I, I do think too. especially for especially the food-driven founders, the people that start it not from like a, I'm in business school and I'm looking at a white space, yep. but someone who really just loves the food and wants to create something that doesn't exist. Yeah. We don't tend to be in the position where, you know, we can just kind of like run it for a few years, see what happens, not have any income, not be able, yeah. you know, I mean, it's just, it's expensive to do. Um, and you do, I think because... I think because everything is omnichannel now, and I think because the barriers to getting into the food industry are so low now, mm-hmm. you know, you can make a great package and like put something in it that's basically resold from something else <laughs> and make a million dollars on Instagram. You can. I know. You know, and so there's just so yeah. much noise that to get out ahead of it. I don't know. I have friends that have done both. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it's challenging, especially unlike you, if you don't have margins that help you get profitable really soon. So mm-hmm. this is one of the reasons why on this show also we always talk about like get your margins as nice as possible. Save totally. as much money on making the product as you can because mm-hmm. you'll get to profitability sooner and you won't need that money. So you'll be, if you do want to raise money, you'll yeah. be in a position of strength. Exactly. And that I would also add to that, you know, it's, it's, it's when you do come to this business as from a place of passion, you know, you, you're sort of focused on how you can make something really delicious. You're not thinking about how like, much it's going to cost. How yeah. much it's going to cost. Yeah. And you have to get, so, like to your point, smart about that yeah. very quickly. Like you've got to, it can you can still have delicious as your goal, but it's got to. Yeah. You, know, you might be making some compromises yeah. along the way. Yep, because that's what life is. Yes. On is. that note, <laughs> um, all right. Anything, best moment, like oh. a moment where you were like, "This, I love my job." <laughs> <laughs> best moment. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've had many. I I have had many really great moments. I mean, I do I do still have that I mentioned it earlier, but that that picture that image in my mind of that woman walking around fairway with the clipping yeah. of my sauce like, "Where is it? I need to find this." Yeah. <laughs> it's that's um, the best feeling in it, the world. It is. Yeah. I mean, there've been so many. I love what I do. I mean, I really do. So, yeah. it's like it's a series of great moments. Yeah. I'm just Ooh, that's so happy. nice. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's thank just you. a pleasure oh. meeting you and getting to talk to you. And hopefully we'll stay in touch. Yes, and thanks. I'll be able to call you and ask you all sorts of harassing questions. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> um, for all of you listening, thank you for listening. And I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. Oh, Matt, thanks for being the best engineer ever. <laughs> See you next week. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.